Well, this morning we're in Stewardship Sunday, and please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 15. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. This is God's word for us this morning. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is God's word for us. Please pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that we would see your grace and see your joy and respond with cheerful hearts. So we ask, Spirit, that you would apply these words to our hearts and lives in this season of the life of this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Stewardship Sunday, and I want to make sure to go off right off the bat of welcoming any guests and visitors. You probably wouldn't have chosen Stewardship Sunday as the Sunday to visit, I'm okay with that being awkward for a second. But here's the goal. Whether we're preaching on stewardship or tithing or serving or missions or everything, the gospel, our goal is the gospel is central. And my hope, especially this morning, as we saw in this passage, is that the gospel is central to everything in our lives, but especially the way that we think of stewardship some basic groundwork right off the bat. For stewardship is faithful responsibility with God's gifts to invest in his kingdom. Our topic is not kingdom ownership, but kingdom stewardship, which means we're talking specifically to citizens of the kingdom. That kingdom is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's kingdom, not our own personal kingdom. And those stewards are those that have been given a gift, an incredibly wonderful gift, primarily the gift of Jesus himself, as we just sang, that he is mine and I am his. 
And there's a a zillion blessings that flow from that gift, but Jesus himself is the primary gift. What that means for us this morning is if you don't first and foremost know that Jesus purchased you and me from an eternity in hell and bought you out of slavery, to the slavery to sin, in order to be a child, a son or daughter, free and favored by a gracious Heavenly Father to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever, then a sermon on stewardship might sound a lot like a guilt trip to donate. Or even when we talk about words like contentment or sacrificial giving or maybe even that word stewardship, it might sound like Christianese cloaked words for give us more money. That's not our goal this morning. If I can speak candidly, we don't actually want your money. God wants you, your whole heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, all of your life. And because he's given you first himself, you can then give freely of all that you are in return. But I want to also tailor this a little more specifically to members this morning. And I want to be a little bit encouraging, but some of that might be challenging. So here we go. This morning, we're not talking about paying your dues in a country club kind of model. That might look like when you use the facilities more for different things throughout the work, the week, or your kids are involved in more, you pay a little more. Or if you joined a small group, oh, you pay a little more there. Or, you know what, I didn't have time this month to serve as much as I used to, so I'll pay a little bit extra. That's not what we're talking about. That's not stewardship. Even us, those that we would claim Jesus as our Savior and consider following him in all aspects of our life, think of kingdom stewardship, it might be one of the last areas of our sanctification that we're willing to kind of understand and see refined. Or stated another way, Randy Pope suggests this, that stewardship is perhaps the most revealing spiritual assessment issue there is. Take a look at your checking account. If you have it online... Scroll through that. See where your kingdom resources are most being applied. But this morning, I get the honor and privilege of sharing with you, our congregation, some of the ways that we as a congregation use and steward kingdom resources well. And I want to match this with the language that we try to use of our time, our talents, as well as our treasures. So here's some encouraging Statistics, if you're a numbers kind of person, please be encouraged. Overall, of our treasure, we have met or on, are on track to meet this 2023 budget. Now, that might sound like a normal kind of thing, except for coming out of COVID, statistically speaking, even churches in this area have hard, had a challenge with that. I say all that not for us to sit back on our laurels, but for us to be thankful for the ways that God has provided. We're also on track to grow by 5% in our budget next year. And for those of you that care, more specifically, at the end of every year, our financial amazing wizard, Gary, is going to send out not only uh, your personal giving statement that is confidential, but also our church's budget. So you can see we want to be transparent with all of those things in terms of what we get to do this afternoon of seeing the new space that we have. In our next campaign, 
we've met 33% of the time, so we're about one year into the three-year scope, and we've already gotten 49% of the pledges towards that. That means we're only a third of the way along, but we've seen 50% almost of the giving. That's a huge blessing. That in the long scope of this project means that we'll have all of that paid off even quicker than we had hoped or anticipated. In terms of our missionaries, we have 17 missionaries on the field and six other organizations that y'all support through your faith promise giving. That's over and above our normal tithes. That's your offerings that you give on top of everything else. They're on every continent. And it's incredible to see sustaining them over the lifetime of mission work that you, through your giving, have done that. But it's not just about treasure. It's about time and talents as well. I also get to share, because a number of people have helped those ministry leaders uh, get together some of the numbers, over this last year, there have been over 10,000 volunteer hours dedicated to the ministry of our church. That's a big number, but what that looks like is uh, over 600 hours in task, 2,100 hours for the choir and the praise team, 3,900 hours for trail life, probably that many more for HG, about 1,000 hours for youth leaders, 860 for women's ministry Bible studies, on top of that another 400. Our greeters team, 300 hours. Wednesday meals, 60 or 70 hours per meal. Visiting shut-ins, we've had about 20 hours a week that we've been able to do that. VBS, y'all remember that um, incredible VBS for a whole week? 2,000 hours by 100 volunteers. And of your talents, your gifts, you serve in hospitality, you visit shut-ins, you pray for the sick, you pray for those others that you don't see regularly. We could calculate numerous hours of y'all caring for one another in incredible ways. What I want to encourage you with is that God is at work to help you steward all of the gifts that he's been given you, that he has given you through the gospel that flows through every other blessing in every part of life. And that is an encouragement. So I want to look specifically at this one verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, and I've put it in the back of your bulletin in a format. I'm aiming to help to highlight and line up some of the important phrases as we go through this. So really just one verse to see how God is at work. So my sermon in a sentence is simply, because God's grace abounds, we also may abound in the good work of giving. So, first off, right in verse 8, God is able. When we start with this definition of stewardship, we have to see that it starts with God's salvation, that God is able, and then everything after being saved, that moment we first believed, everything after that is sanctification, that process of growing more and more in the likeness and image of Christ. So specifically, Paul is talking in this whole passage about salvation. Sorry, that's generally, right? But specifically here, he's talking about the grace of giving. Now, God's grace is specifically in salvation, 
for all people, but he uses this language specifically of debit or credit or investment and reward to show how it's applied. If I can suggest that he uses this idea of grace that others have built into an acronym. Kids, this might be helpful to write down. G-R-A-C-E is God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. G, God's, R, riches at a C, Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, what he gives me and you in salvation is his full and favorable blessings at Christ's expense. They're freely offered to you because Christ paid for them fully. What does this mean? Paul clearly states it in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 9, which is a chapter earlier where he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's putting this in financial terms, though Christ was rich beyond all measure, Yet for our sake, he became poor so that you, in his poverty, might become rich beyond all measure. That's what Paul is summing up in that one little phrase right at the beginning of verse 8, God is able. We think of that little word, able, as maybe like an eking it out word, like you've crank through almost an entire marathon, and you've got enough energy that you might be able to just barely cross the finish line. That's not what this word means here. This is not just enough to get by. God is not just barely able. He is abundantly able. This is the same word that in a lot of other places are powerful, which helps us remember that he not only wants to but doesn't have the ability. He has that ability. He has the desire, and he has followed through with it completely and fully. In verse 6, we see that the point behind sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully, is God's economy is behind that statement. In God's economy, there is no scarcity There's no scarcity model built in. There's no lack. There's no supply demand where maybe we'll run out of resources with God. He wants us to reap bountifully. Why? Because he's reaped bountifully. He sees the harvest that is ample and ready to be brought into his storehouses. This is also the same idea that we get in Philippians 4.19, that God will supply according to what? According to the riches in Christ Jesus. There's no lack there. Ever abundant. So if God is able to make all grace abound to you, what does that mean for us? It means that we get to enjoy and abound in that. Now, I think one hard thing that we have is our consumeristic or maybe our individualistic mentality. And I have to be aware that a couple days ago and in this season, we're bombarded with Black Friday sales and all these other things that are driving through really clever marketing that you need this, whatever it is, gadget, gizmo, or thing, to be more fulfilled and more sufficient in life. God doesn't see our lives that way. 
He says, his sufficiency, his grace is what abounds in our lives. Because God provides abundantly. He sees our needs, not for stuff, but for sanctification. If I can put that in context and then use an illustration, oftentimes we think that if God doesn't meet my need, then he hasn't provided. Rather than seeing the full picture of my salvation and sanctification, excuse me, where oftentimes he knows exactly what I need, and it's not a tangible outside myself need, it's an intangible internal need. I need to not have something so that I can be content with what he has provided. I need to shake one idea that I thought was a need and realize it's more of a want or not even something that I need to put on my Christmas list. It's just a nice thing because I need to actually realize my hope, my rest, my ability, my source of grace is in Christ and Christ alone. When I was growing up, our family often had Thanksgivings especially uh, where we would lack And I didn't realize this until about the third time. It took me a little bit longer. But the third time after church, I went out to our car. My mom was a single mom raising myself and two other siblings. And the third time that we had a bag of groceries on our hood was when it took, that's when I realized that we didn't have a lot. That somebody in the church, I'll give credit to the nice people that, knew us a little better and, and just would pick up groceries on the way into church that morning and they would set it on our hood knowing that we needed lunch that afternoon. Well, there was another lady that knew Thanksgiving was coming up and her name was Eloise. She was a good family friend of my mom's family growing up and, and she, nobody would ever hear her admit this, but she was on uh, food stamps and the government provided a lot of what she ate and one of those things that the government provided back in those days, you'll remember this, was that delicious can of Spam. Nobody wants Spam for Thanksgiving. But because Eloise knew that she would be provided for, not by the government, but by God, her Heavenly Father, she was willing to share her can-o Spam with our family. And she gave of her abundance so that we could have something as well. And I don't think she ever went without She was always cared for. There were many Thanksgivings when we saw God's hand provide in a similar way, whether it was spam or actual meat. And that's sometimes how God does it, right? He sometimes uses one another for us to know our situations, our lives, so that maybe it's not money, maybe it's not our checking account that has need. Maybe it's some other aspect of our parenting or our marriage or our job, how things at work are navigating, or in other relationships, or our heart, or our contentment. That's what God is driving at. This shows that God's gifts flow more when we believe and work as conduits, as stewards who are receiving so that they can give. Sometimes we think of ourselves as as better reservoirs. There's a lot of inflow and barely a trickle coming out. Or even worse, y'all have been in those new subdivisions where they have retention ponds. What's the goal of a retention pond? When there's a lot of stuff flowing in, it just dumps there and sits. And there for a while, it starts smelling. Nobody wants to be that kind of steward. 
where lots of stuff get dumped, and then it just sits. We get to see the blessings of God flow more, and this is so counterintuitive to our day, our consumerist mentality, that the more we receive, the more we get to give. And that's a blessing. So first we've seen that God's grace, his grace abounds. It is amply sufficient. Next, I want to show us that God's grace drives our motives. Here in verse 7, right before this section, Paul says that God is able, sorry, each one must give as he's made up his mind. And then before jumping straight into the cheerful giving idea, he, he contrasts that and gives us some parameters, some guidelines to say we don't want to be reluctant. We also don't want to be under compulsion. But my motive for giving, because God wants to reap bountifully with all the things that he's provided us in Christ Jesus, he wants our motives to be cheerful. And so he gives so that we can be cheerful. Where does that idea originate? The idea that I get, that we get to be cheerful givers. How far back do we need to go? It actually goes all the way back to God himself. God is the most cheerful giver in the entire universe. And he gives with no end. There's no limit to how much he will give. So far that he gave of his only son. His only son. The one whom he loved. And we're going to see in a couple more weeks how that language of our only begotten son, Jesus Christ, is echoed from Abraham's giving of his only son, the one whom he loved. But Paul makes this case in Romans 8.32 that how much more are we going to receive? He who didn't spare his own son for us. And I don't think that was only cheerful, but it wasn't less than cheerful. How much more would God give us all things and give us those abundantly so that we can see the vast love of a father towards his people. That's the joy that motivates. Randy Pope also suggests that God wants you to give for the very joy and love of giving. There is a joy in being able to give. Those of you that are parents or grandparents especially know how enjoyable it is just to give and for no reason. Well, well, Dad, Grandma, it's, it's not even my birthday. Exactly. I don't need a reason. I just love and enjoy it. That's what shows us that God's concern and his joy of giving is actually in our being content. And content is a really hard thing because it's not tied to any measure. There's no amount. When I reach this amount, then I'll be content. You can have this amount and be content, and you can have this amount and be content. You can also have this amount and never be content because you always want one more. But because God gives us, and of that gift, he wants us to then respond in kind. He cares about our motives. Piper goes out of his way to not just rehearse this really important principle but to see how it applies in so many aspects of life. He's famous for saying that God is most glorified in us. When we are most satisfied in him, 
And that goes off of two really important principles that comes from the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, when God says both to the, the servant who takes two and makes four, and also to the servant who has five and makes ten, he congratulates, he is pleased with them in the same way. He says to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. Because they've taken what he's given and they've stewarded it. They've used their responsible stewardship to make kingdom investments wisely. They've done that and they've enjoyed that. And so God wants us to also look to our motives so that we can be cheerful. Now, I understand there's some seasons where it seems like we're reluctant, seems like we're under compulsion. We don't want that attitude. We don't want that motive. We're not striving for that. But I think the most helpful phrase in this passage that gets to that, that really gets to my motives, is when it mentions, when Paul says, because God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that we, having all sufficiency, what helps me undermine my cheerful giving is thinking that it's up to me, that I'm sufficient, that I somehow have to do it, that I have to be responsible enough or good enough or work hard enough or do enough to think that then I'll have something to give. What helps me be really, really cheerful, regardless of the amount of time, talent, or treasure, is to know that he is all-sufficient. Don't miss, though, that that word all is all through here. Five times in this one verse, Paul used that same phrase, and I've tried to highlight it so we can see that out as I've, I've breaking it down. He's make, he is able to make all grace having all sufficiency in all things at all times that you and I get to abound in every, it's the same Greek word, in every is all, in every good work. That means that I will never go without. I'll never lack because it's up to God's capabilities, his sufficiency. He will provide, not me. Paul, in warning against our reluctancy or being under compulsion, makes the point that it starts in our hearts. It starts in our attitudes. It starts in our feelings and our choices. And out of that flow, our behavior. Sometimes, I get this, parents, we we have to train our kids in the behavior so that the heart will follow that that's actually a good thing. Some of us adults need to think that way as well. So, Don't wait until you feel like it to start serving or to start praying or to start giving of your time, talents, and treasures. But the goal here is that his abounding grace will actually drive our motives. That's the blessing. And finally, if we don't see that, please see our third point, that giving, you and I, being able to give out of what we've received is actually a reward. It's in and of itself. That is a reward. It's not the only one, but it's absolutely a reward. Think back to the last Christmas you had. Think back to that gift that you got to see somebody, usually younger than you, unwrap. Maybe your age, that's great. Think of the joy almost with every piece of wrapping paper that was 
Okay, in our case, just completely shredded and ripped off the box, right? Every smile that grows as they get to see, this is what I wanted, and it's so much better. How much does your heart swell? Just that you got to be a part of that moment of joy. That's the gift that God has given us, that his heart swells when we take what we've received and we give it to others. That in itself is a reward. I want to point us to verse 9, right after this passage, where Paul says that we get to increase our righteousness. He has distributed freely, and he's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then in verse 10, that because God supplies, he will supply even and multiply our seed for sowing. And do what? Give you more and more and more? He actually says he'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's so challenging but so encouraging that he doesn't anchor your joy, your reward, to a tangible amount. It's not if you meet this measure. It's that you're enjoying this reward in your righteousness, how much you're being sanctified. That's tied directly to how much you're content with how much you already have and then how much you get to give out of that. This all stems in the last phrase of this passage that Paul encourages it, that we get to abound in every good work. For some of us, that's a really, abounding is kind of a normal way of life. And I don't mean that we jump around. I I mean, abounding is that we, we seem to do everything and enjoy it to its fullest. I've seen some of you that serve that way in in children's worship, in nursery. You enjoy every second you get to pour into those young hearts. You are abounding in every good work there. And that is a, a reward in and of itself that you get to be a part of what God is doing in this soul. I've seen some of you that just enjoy every time you get to rearrange chairs. I'm challenged with that. That's not necessarily as enjoyable for me. But I've learned that attitude more. It's actually a reward to spend my time to serve others so that when they come in here and they're here for some other purpose, they don't have to set up a chair before they get to sit down and enjoy fellowship. I've seen many of you who love being involved in missions. That in and of itself is a reward. It's not the end. It's not the final goal. But it's a reward that you get to say, I work hard. God provides through that channel so that I can give and people can serve in missions across the globe. That is a beautiful thing. If I can help to frame this a little bit better, that's been really helpful for my thinking and my heart. When we give, whether it's our time, our talents, our treasure, we are giving vertically. We're giving to God. Yes, I understand, especially kids, there's a metal plate that goes around the aisles and some other guy takes it. I get that. But you're giving to the men who are responsible. They're stewards for God. You're giving to God. When you're volunteering your hours, nobody, no matter anybody sees it, you're giving those hours to God. When you're serving with your time, when you're up here playing or 
back there serving or over there praying or in a small group. You're giving your time, your gifts, your hospitality, your meals, your thoughtful listening. You're giving that to God. And he will take that. And he will let it abound, both for your good and multiply that for the good of many, many others. See, the logic here, if all of that is dependent on my ability, my contentness, my sufficiency, my limited time, limited treasures, and limited uh, talents, if that's the limit here, or any of the results, if that's all limited by me, then Paul's logic in this whole section would crumble. There would be a limit, and nothing I did would ever abound. Because even if I saw success, I would grumble that I wanted more. But because all of these good works, if anything good happens in this congregation, whether it's in our time, whether it's in our talents, and whether especially it's in our treasure, if anything good there comes, if God allows anything to be fruitful, if any ministry that happens in this extra wing ever rewards others and bears righteousness, the fruit of righteousness for God's kingdoms, it will be because God provided and he provides abundantly. And many of you will be involved in that. You'll see those moments where smiling children, where smiling adults, maybe not always smiling, but sometimes smiling, where they get to see the goodness of the Lord, they get to see and savor it as their only treasure in life. And that will be a reward for us. My goal in all three of these points, whether it's having a, a hard time or, or needing to be challenged and seeing God's grace abounding, whether it's needing to be challenged or needing to be encouraged in, in my motive that I can be content and still be encouraged farther, or by seeing that the act of giving to God and seeing that applied out in other places is actually part of the reward that he's trying to nourish and nurture in our lives. My goal is that all of that you see that God is a good and cheerful giver, that he has given us abundantly. And out of that, we get to give to others. If I can drive that home with a couple application questions, and I want to make a, a small caveat first. First, I understand that many of us are on fixed allotments, both of time and of treasure. If you're on a fixed income, if tithing more money isn't the only opportunity you have, then please just ignore that part. I pray, though, that when we use this language of time, talents, and treasures, that we'll actually think in those terms of how we are to give of our whole lives offer our whole selves as a living sacrifice to God in every avenue that we're able to. So to challenge us in terms of bigger categories than just what we do with our checkbook. If you're limited in one area, consider the, the talent of praying, of hospitality, of writing letters. My daughter got a letter this last week for being in, in the praise team, and that meant so much to her heart that somebody took time to write a letter to her. That meant a lot to me. You can tell now. 
if you don't have the time to give, maybe considering a, a, a way that you can be involved in some other way. Nurture that in somebody else. Help to steward those gifts and others. If you do have the time, we always want people to nurture their gift of patience with our toddlers and our young ones. You can always serve in the nursery. And that will always help your cheerful heart. I promise. All of these, I want to boil down to three main questions. First, how content are you? How would you gauge your level of contentment? And hopefully, you're not tying that to the level of time, talent, or treasure that you currently have coming in. How content in the riches of the Lord are you? Do you see God's grace abounding in your life in how you steward your time, your talents, and your treasures? Then what is your motive for giving? And I'm glad that this part of the service is after the offering part of the service so nobody can go back and take it back. There's no take backs. But what is your motive for giving all of your life? Do you understand how richly blessed you are in the gospel? Is that the first gift that you think of giving somebody else? Not just because it's Christmas time, but because that's how richly blessed you are in Christ. You have been given a free salvation. And now you are a child of God that can give that away as freely and often as you can. And you will never go without. So what's your motive? Does your giving flow then from a thankful heart that has received God's grace? Or do you kind of fall into that uh, country club mentality or that transaction? God gave me this. I better give a little bit more. And how are you investing? What priorities do you have in investing of your time, of your talents, and your treasure? Does those priorities show, show that you're putting God's kingdom first? Or are you trying to build your own? In all these things, my hope as I've been challenge this week and our prayer for us moving forward to close out this year well and to move into next year is that in all of these things we will be able to say that God loves cheerful givers and that we will be able to put on display for the watching world. Please pray with me. God our Heavenly Father, you are gracious your, your grace abounds in good things in our lives. I pray from young to old that you would continue to shape our hearts by the incredible riches, God's riches at Christ's expense that you have lavished on us. So in this coming season, not just because of Giving Tuesday, but for the rest of our lives, let us see your goodness let us be driven in our motives for glad things with cheerful hearts to give abundantly out of the abundance that we, we have received. And let us do all of that in the name of Jesus, for the good of his church, for the honor of his name, for the expansion of his kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.